Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Well, I would be amiss if I didn't bring this up. Um, Yesterday was a very important holiday, Remembrance Day, for all of our veterans. And at this time, I would invite anyone who is a veteran to please stand so we may recognize you. Thank you so much for your service. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, there's another very important holiday in quite a few states in the country, and I want to remember that one as well. It's a place, it's a holiday where sometimes schools are closed and Businesses are shuttered for that one day because it's opening day of hunting season. <laughs> Anybody come from a state where that, that happened? Yeah, Rocky, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, sure, you betcha. And that's uh, what I wanted to start with today. Sven and Oli are going out hunting on opening day. And there they are. They're not more than 10, 15 miles from where they live, but they're out in this wooded area where they're going to go out on the first day and they start their their walk and they're going through the woods and then they go through a draw and then up into a saddle and down a ridge and they keep doing this and even though they are so close to home they find themselves sort of wondering where they are and so they're they're wandering they say i don't know where i quite where i am here sven and sven looks oh yeah sure you know you know only i i agree and so they go over another ridge and they realize they're lost. They don't know where they are. And so Sven says, you know, and you know, it's typical Norwegians. They're, oh, shucks, you know, kicking at the ground, you know. That, that's excited. And so they, uh, Sven tells Oli, you know, Oli, that the universal signal that we use when we're lost out in the field is to shoot three times in the air and hope somebody hears it and returns firing three shots. And then you can hear where they are and you can come together. So Oli says, oh, okay. So Oli shoots three shots in the air. And they wait. And they wait. And it's an hour later, they still haven't heard any replies. So Sven says, oh, Oli, you shoot, shoot again. So he shoots three times in the air. And again, no reply. And so Sven says, it's getting dark, but I don't think you ought to shoot in the air anymore, Oli. He says, good, I only have two arrows left. <laughs> I just got that one from Bob O'Rourke's grandson. So uh, that's straight from uh, North, North Dakota, Fargo. Um, yeah, this is one of what we're looking at today. 
how we can be so close to home, surrounded by such familiar things, and at times we feel lost in this culture, and we're being drawn away. You know, we, we live here, we have our foundings, our, our foundation, we have our base, but it's so easy, isn't it, sometimes to sort of feel lost in this world. That's what Paul's talking about here with these, these folks in, in, in Philippi. Um, it's a town that probably, we could, it'd be hard to explain to somewhere, you know, a church in Des Moines where you don't have to ever lock your doors. You know, you, why lock your house? What could possibly happen, you know? Here, all I've got to say is Philippi was a port town, a military town. You want to get what, know what it looks like, just go down to Huntington Beach Pier on a Saturday night. All kinds of crazy things going on and <laughs> want to draw you away from your foundation, your underpinnings. And so Paul, it must have been something going on with the Philippian church that Paul wanted to address this, kind of remind them to come back home to where they have their foundations. He starts out with kind of this list that Paul likes to do, these virtuous things that we hear him say. He talks about what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, He's telling them that this ability to remember what your foundations are is something to be learned, but it's not something that you strive for, it's something you already have. In other words, what I guess I'm saying is doing these things is not the law. You must do these things so God will love you and have be forced to give you salvation. This is not the law where here's the steps and if you do break any of them, you've got to really question your salvation. That's the law. This is the gospel. This is since Christ has claimed you for himself, has bought and paid for you with his blood on the cross. These things are the good news that you can have in Christ. These are the things, let me teach you the blessings, the promises that you have. Not that you have to do them, but more like a good work is something that because of Christ, they just seem to flow from you. Sometimes they happen before you even think about it. You just walk away after doing something saying, oh, wow, where did I get that from? Well, you got it from Christ. And that's what Paul, I think, is talking about here. It's so easy in this world to be called to the law of this, this culture the things that we have to deal with that pull us away to where we feel lost so close to our, our own home, spiritually, physically, all that. The one thing that has always been there, it seems, in the world is you never have enough. You got to get more. 
We are consumed with getting stuff. And that's what, what he who, is, who dies with the most toys wins, that type of idea. And that's what we have to struggle with. Because with this desire to get, you also have this anxiety of losing as well. Think of all the scam things that are going on on the computer and the phones these days. They're either trying to tell you, oh, you can get a whole lot more money, or oh, you're going to lose all your money. They know that they can plug into this age-old, uh, what do the kids call it, FOMO, fear of missing out. And this is what drives us in a lot of ways, that, that takes us away from our underpinnings in Christ seeing Christ as law and not as gospel, as demanding before he blesses us and not the gospel of giving us because we are already blessed. The other one's a little bit different that we deal with in this world, but we have to deal with it. Um, there is no such thing as sin. If something happens... You're a victim. Everybody's a victim. Nobody is sinful. Nobody brings it upon themselves. It all happens to them. What the idea is, well, we don't want people to feel bad about their sin. That's not what God does. He gives us, he gives us the law in the scriptures as a mirror to show us our sinfulness, a mirror to see ourselves and our need for Christ and then graciously gives them to us. But we want to block that out in this culture today and not have sinfulness. We have victimhood. And here's the problem. If you're a sinner, you can repent. If it's something of your doing, you can change it. If it's something you need to give, apologize for, you can do that. But if you're a victim, you can't because you never know when it's going to happen again and literally you have no hope. Being a victim strips you of the hope that repentance and forgiveness, confession of your sins can bring. Paul then goes on here just to explain what's going on. Uh, he talks about, I rejoice greatly in the Lord at, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. What's he talking about? This Sunday school part of the sermon today. In those times, if you were a prisoner, you could get um, home at home confinement but that's what Paul is. He's, he's in prison. But rather than being in the dungeon, he had, was given the opportunity to rent a place. He has to wear chains, but he rents a place, and they place a Roman soldier guard at his door, and he has to pay for all of it. He has to pay for the guard. He has to pay for the, the room. He has to pay for the food, all that kind of stuff. But it gives him a, a chance to continue to write. So he does this, and he needs money to do it. And one of the things, reasons Philippians was written, it was written to a group of people, a church, 
And right at the very beginning, it says, what is it? Um, um, he talks about uh, he who has begun a good work in you, you all, the church, will see it through to completion. Well, that good work is they gave him a, an offering. He's thanking them for the offering they gave him. And we see it two or three times more in Philippians. It's, that's one of them places right here that he's saying, thanks for the money so that I can pay and do this. And this is God's working in a way that's pretty, pretty amazing. Paul hates writing letters. First, he says, I want to be there with you. But since he's in jail, he can't. So he sends Epaphroditus as a messenger, a second way. I want to send an ambassador if I can't be there. Third way, if I have to, and there's no other, thing, other way that I can do it, I'll write you a letter. And in so, we get 22 books of the Bible given to us, God's Word, because Paul is in jail, in prison, doing what he prefers not to do for what God uses to bless us with today. And now this part. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned to be content, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through things, through him who gives me strength. Okay. Doesn't matter. Everything's fine. Do what? Me? Worry? <laughs> okay, extra po bonus points, trivia points. What's this guy's name? Okay, so there's, a, there's enough of you guys like me who are that this age. Is that what he's talking about? Oh, just don't worry about a thing, you know, as the world collapses around us, and I'll just pretend that everything's fine, you know kind of a Pollyannish way of looking at things. Everything will always work out. It's always for the best. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to be able to get through and to get along in this world where all these pressures are coming in from the outside with focus on the one who gives us and fulfills not the law, but the gospel for us. We look at what's already been done. You heard him say, I have learned to be content. He has looked and prayed, and we can pray to our Lord. We can read his word, see his word. We can come together as a church and feel the presence of the Spirit here. We have learned how to be content, and in that contentment is strength. And that contentment is power. Because the world and its pressures cannot overcome the strength and power of the Lord, the Holy Spirit in us. And this is what Paul wants them to understand. He can be either sitting in his own place, free, having a sumptuous meal, or he can be in chains as he is now trying to scrape enough money to get by, but he is content because he has the Lord to look upon. 
Everything else can come, everything else can go, but there is the Lord. And I'm not saying like Alfred E. Newman, just turn, no, there are this world, in this world, there are things that we have to deal with, that we have to worry about, that want to come into our world and give us anxiety. But we look first to Christ and we look and we say, I don't have to look at him as something to attain, as to, to hope to get to. You are already there so that he can be with you, the first one you turn to in your time of need to give you comfort and to give you peace. Not to just sit back and say, I can't pay the rent, and oh, I'll just let God pay it by the end of the month. It's not what I'm saying. But he, you can know that in this struggle, Christ is with you. I have a story here I wanted to share with you. It's a kind of a, I went to a lecture. The guy who was giving the lecture gave this quote, and so I'll, I'll try to keep you in, in line on, on who uh, the transcript, how it reads. I mentioned earlier that knowing God is an incontermentable good in which our suffering cannot be compared. Few of us really understand this truth, but a former colleague of mine, this is the guy talking about a writer, Thomas Schmidt, if you're interested, who, did, who met a woman who did. Tom used to make it his habit to visit shut-ins in nursing homes in an attempt to bring a bit of cheer to and love into their lives. And one day he met a woman he would never forget. And this is what Tom writes. As I neared the end of the hallway, I saw an old woman strapped in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. A large hearing aid over one ear told me she was almost deaf. On one side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek and had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I also learned that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been bedridden, blind, and nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most people I saw in the hallway. I put a flower in her hand and said, here, it's a flower. It's for you. Happy Mother's Day. She had held it up to her face and tried to smell it. And then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you, it's lovely, but can I give it to someone else? I can't see, you know, I'm blind. I said, of course, and I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought we could find some alert patients. I found one and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. Tom and Mabel became friends over the next few years, and Tom began to realize that there was no longer helping Mabel, but she was helping him. He began to take notes on what she said, 
And after a stressful week, Tom went to Mabel and asked her, Mabel, what do you think about as you lie here all day? And she replied, I think about my Jesus. I sat there for a moment and thought, this was difficult for me to think about Jesus for five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? She slowly and deliberately said as I wrote, I think of how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those old-fashioned kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, I go to him. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. This is not a fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I know I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled and did so many days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it was happening. She lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is Mabel had something you and I don't have much of. She had power. Lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone. She had incredible power. I made it through without choking up. This is the strength. This is the power that Paul is talking about. This is the focus for we as Christians on this side of salvation have in the gospel. This is our focus. This is God's gift. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.